If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, we're going to look this morning at verses 18 through 25. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. As we've been working our way through uh, these first two chapters of Genesis, we've seen a powerful picture of the glory of God and man as the crown of his creation. And you'll remember in chapter 2, we've, we've zoomed in on the creation of man. That in chapter 1, man was just the chronological sixth thing that God made. Now in chapter 2, man becomes the thematic central and we focus more closely on who he is. And what we've seen so far is that God has intricately made this man, formed him from the dust that God has given him a home where all of his needs are met. He's given him vocation. He's given responsibility. And he's even given to him choice. And just when you think that this situation couldn't get any better, it couldn't get any more glorious, God says, wait, we're not done. There is more to come. And before we begin this morning, we look at the creation of woman and what is Uh, the institution of marriage, we need to understand something. That we, we believe in this book and the pattern that God has given to us in his word for marriage and family, the perfect pattern that God has given to us, it is not honored in our society or culture. In fact, it is being attacked at almost every level of our society. And at some point or another, every one of you is going to have to come to a place where you're either going to believe what the world and our culture is telling you, or you are are going to believe in what this book says. I shared with you at the beginning of this sermon series, there is a cosmic battle taking place today between the lies of the world and Satan and the truth of God's word, and you have to make a decision. you got to make a choice in what you're going to believe. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, he who labors labors in vain. In other words, you can do it however you want to do it. Just don't expect God to bless it. Or you can do it God's way and rest assured that you'll have his blessing. This is his pattern. And it is the only pattern he promises to bless. So let's pray together and we'll work our way through this passage. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And you have instructed us on how we're to operate within this divine institution of marriage. God, I pray that right now for these brief moments, you would help us to put aside anything that would distract us from hearing your voice. And God, you would speak to us clearly. We'd understand who we are, who you made us to be, and how we're to operate within marriage. That we might display your glory in the midst of a lost and dying world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's pick up. In verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. 
And here, for the first time, we see this phrase, not good. Now, we understand that everything that God has made is perfect. There's nothing about God's creation that is flawed or broken. So what do we, what do we take this to mean? What does God mean when he says that this is not good? Well, essentially, what God is saying is it's not complete, that I'm not done. I've got more to add. I've got more to give, more glory to demonstrate. In other words, he's saying to Adam, Adam, you think this is good. Brother, hold on. You ain't seen nothing yet. That this is not the final good that I intend it to be. And, and what is it about this that's not good? Well, it's very clear. It's not good for the man to be alone. Aloneness is what he's, not, is what he's talking about here. Man is made in the image of God. We saw this in chapter 1, verse 27, when it said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In other words, to, to fully see the image of God in humanity requires both male and female. It requires unity in the midst of diversity. Why? Because God is unity in the midst of diversity. And so God says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now, when we hear that word helper, we think oftentimes of a weaker or a less important individual. But by using this word, we need to understand something this morning. God is not emphasizing superiority or inferiority. That's not what he's intending or emphasizing right here. He is simply demonstrating Adam's need for a complementary partner who will enable him to fulfill the mission that God has given to both the man and the woman. See, God has rigged it in such a way so that the accomplishment of his mission which specifically in this context is to be fruitful and multiply, that that is absolutely impossible for Adam to accomplish alone. That he cannot fulfill uh, the mission apart from a compatible partner in order for them to do all that God has called them to do. In order for them to demonstrate the fullness of God's image and God's glory in this world, they're both going to need a compatible, complementary partner. In other words, it requires a suitable helper. It requires both male and female. So if you kind of see the picture here, God is saying that's not good. In other words, that's not complete. That I'm going to add in another distinct individual with different roles and responsibilities, but equal in dignity and glory, and I'm going to bring them together so that the fullness of my image and my glory might be put on display before the world. You know, as I look at this, the, the picture that I see here is, is God looking at Adam and saying, Adam, you are perfectly made. You're strong. You're handsome. You are capable. But I have something else for you. I have a blessing for you that is so far beyond what you can possibly comprehend. And she's going to be a blessing to you. And you're going to need her in ways that you don't even understand right now. Listen, when it talks about a suitable helper, do you really think that God created Eve so that Adam could get up in the morning and make this to-do list with Eve's name at the top? Here's Eve, here's her to-do list. No way. See, I think the picture that I see here is, is Adam saying, God, 
You've given me this mission and him looking at Eve and saying, Eve, I got a mission here and it's absolutely impossible for me to do this on my own. Will you help me? That Eve, there's going to be some decisions that I'm going to have to make here in this mission that you've given to me. And I sure don't want to make them on my own. I sure could use your help. Will you you help me, Eve? That Eve, I can't find the car keys. (laughs) That Eve, Cain's got some math homework and I can barely add. But do you see the picture here? Eve, God's given me a mission that's bigger than me. And I desire for you to be with me. Will you help me? And they're going to come together as two distinct individuals in a complementary way to accomplish God's mission for his glory. But here's the deal. Adam, at this point, he doesn't even know what he needs. Adam, at this point, he doesn't even know what he's missing out on. So you know what God's going to do? This is beautiful. God is going to create loneliness in Adam. Look at verses 19 through 20. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So God gives Adam the responsibility of naming the animals. Can you imagine what a a demanding task, a a daunting task, but at the same time, I think he he brought brought him great delight to participate with God in this mission. So, So God is bringing these animals to Adam, and Adam is going through the process of naming them. And as he goes through this process, Adam begins to notice they're coming to him in pairs, that each of these animals has a helper suitable. And Adam begins to understand, but I don't have a helper suitable. And I'm, I don't really like the elephant, all right? So I don't know. In other words, Adam is, is not content with being a single zookeeper. He desires a relationship with someone with whom he can communicate. And animals can't communicate, not in a deep, intimate way, because... They're not made in God's image. And he desires someone with whom he can make decisions. And animals can't make decisions. They're not rational beings. They're not made in the image of God. And I think Adam begins, I believe, for the very first time to long for intimacy and relationship. He desires a partner. He desires a counterpart. And so in verses 21 and 22, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. You know what you have here? You get the first surgery. First anesthesiologist right here. And God puts this deep sleep, puts Adam in this deep sleep. And why does Adam sleep? Certainly because he's about to pull out one of his ribs, but... But I think there's another picture here, and and I've really been cautious because I don't want to go beyond God's word, but just something God pressed on me and maybe something that some of you need to hear this morning. Because I see a picture here of Adam. At this point, he's walking in perfect fellowship with God, isn't he? And right here at this moment, he's just trusting that, God, you will give me exactly what I need. Adam doesn't even know what he needs. 
He thinks, he may think he knows what he needs, he may think what he, he knows what he wants, but he don't even know. And he goes to sleep just resting and trusting in the God who will provide him exactly what he needs, exactly when he needs it. And some of you may be in this room this morning or listening online and you're single and you're longing for marriage, you're longing for a spouse. Can I tell you, rest in the sovereignty of a God who knows you better than you know you. And trust him to bring to you the right person at the right time. Listen, when I met Faith, there came a point as we were dating that I knew. In fact, I could almost recall the time when as I was praying and I understood, I believe with all my heart that God uh, led her to me. And praise God, I was able to talk her into that. Um, and it took some convincing. But, but at that moment, listen, at that moment, as I reflected upon that this week, at that moment, I had no idea how faith was going to help me in ways that I didn't even know I needed help. And she was going to meet needs in my life I didn't even know I had. And she was going to strengthen me in ways I didn't even know I needed strengthening. In this beautiful, how God is going to provide for him perfectly. And so a woman is taken from the man and you've often heard this said, she's not taken from his head to be over him. She's not taken from his feet to be beneath him or under him. She's taken from his side because she will be with him. She is of the same stuff as Adam and she's going to be close to Adam. You know, it's interesting. Why doesn't, why doesn't God just form Eve from the dust too? Because he certainly could have. I mean, couldn't he just, same way he made Adam, he made Adam from the dust, let's just make woman from the dust. But everything God he does, he does intentionally and purposefully, doesn't he? Why does he take Eve from Adam? Listen, God is building into Adam this understanding that she is part of you. And just as you take care of yourself, you're going to take care of her. In fact, that's the, the statement that, Paul makes in Ephesians 5 when he talks about loving our wives. He says, just as you take care of yourself, you take care of her. And I think that is built in right here as God takes Eve from Adam. She's part of you. By doing this, he's created in Adam a natural affection, a natural concern, a natural tenderness towards Eve. She's part of me. That the, at the basis of this relationship will be a heart of affection and love and tenderness. And then he fashions her into a woman. He takes the stuff of man, he fashions it. I love that translation. It's a different word for make in the Hebrew. But it just, it demonstrates the intricacy and the care with which God fashions this woman made in his image. And listen to me as we talk about that. To diminish, to diminish the creation of woman as some afterthought of God in some lesser or diminished role is an affront to the perfection and the glory and the intricacy of the God who made her in his his own image. God fashions her uniquely, carefully, intricately. And then he brings her to the man. Do you realize what we have here? We've got the first marriage. We've got the first wedding. This is the first wedding ever. And Eve is the first bride. And who's going to walk the bride down the aisle to the man? None other than God himself. You know, as a pastor, privilege I get is participating in weddings, and, and uh, I got the groom over here, and that bride will come down, and that dad's standing between that bride 
and that future groom. And, and there comes that point, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And, you know, he gives her the kiss, and then he turns to that groom. And if looks could talk, folks, <laughs> do you know what is often communicated? You mess with her, and you are dead, dead. <laughs> In other words, what is that day, dad saying? Buster, she was mine before she's yours. Do you know what I believe God is communicating to Adam? Can you imagine being Adam and this woman brought to you by none other? And this is a theophany. God is spirit, but we see God in, in pictured here in human form. But Adam, God is going to escort Eve to Adam. And you know what God is, a, you know what he's communicating to Adam? She was mine before she's yours. Listen, all of us as husbands, we need to be reminded of that this morning. That God is saying to all of us, she was mine before she's yours. I made her, I love her more than you can possibly comprehend. And you are accountable to me. For how you treat, how you love, how you lead this woman. And there's no doubt, listen, as we look at the picture of this first marriage, there's no doubt that Adam is called to be the leader of this home. Adam is created first. And someone say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Paul's going to emphasize that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if it was em emphasized by Paul, it should be emphasized us. But, but just even more simplistically, when we think about it here, why didn't God just create Adam and Eve simultaneously? Because he could have done that, right? He could have created them simultaneously, just at the same time. But God creates Adam first, and God does everything intentionally. Listen to me. You know why he does that? Because he didn't want the leadership of the home up for grabs. This is not a jump ball. It's not a competition. Listen, if God had created them simultaneously, rest assured there would have been an argument. Well, I should lead because I'm stronger. And she would have said, well, I should lead because I'm smarter. And she'd have been right, man. Yeah, wouldn't she? Yeah. But in this relationship, you know what God is saying? This is not a competition. This is complimentary. And it strips away any amount of pride in leadership role, doesn't it? Because men, we understand something very clearly. God didn't designate us the leader because we're smarter or stronger. We're co-equals. God established us as leaders of the home because God is sovereign, and that is his sovereign choice. And God is the sovereign designer of the institution of marriage. For some reason, says the big hairy one leads. I don't know why. But I know that God is a God of order. And in every institution that God has ever designed or created, there's always been order. Because without order, there is chaos. So Adam is the leader and Adam is accountable. He's accountable for the moral commands. Remember, God is going to give him the moral commands. He doesn't repeat them to Eve. What is implied there? That he is going to pass them along to Eve. And in next week, as we look in Genesis chapter 3... And they sin, and who eats first? Eve. But who does God go to after sin enters the world? He goes to Adam. Why? Because Adam is accountable and, a res and responsible in a way that Eve is not because he has established him as the leader. Listen to me this morning, husbands. You are called to lead but what we see here is in your, all of your leadership, there is a heart of service, affection, love, compassion, and tenderness, knowing that you are accountable to God for how you treat this woman that he made in his image.
powerful picture. And then uh, verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, most of your Bibles will set this apart from the rest of the text. It'll make it look a little different there. And that's because it's designating that this is poetry. Adam is so overwhelmed that he breaks out in poetry. Listen, when a man starts writing poetry, you know he's in love, all right? And Adam breaks out. But don't miss this. We laugh at that. But listen, at the heart of this marriage institution, it's not about position. The heart of this marriage is affection and love. That man in his perfected state here prior to the fall, he doesn't have to be told to love his wife. There's no commands here. Adam, you got to love her. In his perfected state, he's naturally inclined to love her. She doesn't have to be told to submit. God doesn't have to go tell Eve. You got to submit. You got to respect this guy. She will instinctively and naturally and lovingly respond to his leadership. Adam instinctively loves his wife as he loves himself. He is instinctively going to put her needs above his own. He's going to instinctively lead with a heart of service and affection. And Eve is going to be completely safe and secure in his love. And together in their distinctiveness and unity, they're going to display the image of God in all of its fullness on earth as the pinnacle and the crown of God's creation. Verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Right here, Moses, this is, remember, Moses is the author. This is Moses writing to the nation of Israel and he stops here to add commentary. Because Adam doesn't have any parents to leave at this point. Moses is speaking to the nation. Really what he's telling the nation is before we're, not, before we're called to redeem any land, We're called to redeem the institution of marriage. Do we need to hear this today? That the people of God, one of our primary responsibilities is to redeem the institution of marriage before a watching world. To demonstrate God's way is best and perfect. And so here he is. He's stopping. He's saying, this is the pattern. This is the design. This is how it was intended to operate, that you're going to be in an exclusive relationship. You're going to leave your parents, and you're going to be in exclusive unity with this woman who's distinct and yet made in my image. And week has been a whole week, and I'll leave and cleave, as most of your translations will have it, or some of your translations will. But really, all that means is in this new institution, there's going to be a new allegiance that the primary allegiance in this, listen, husbands and wives, when you get married, the primary allegiance to your life is number one, Jesus, but then it becomes each other. And now there's a change in the structure of responsibilities. Now no longer is mommy and daddy providing. Now God says, man, it's your responsibility. Now no longer is mommy and daddy protecting. Now man, it's your responsibility to protect. And now no longer is mommy and daddy leading. Now God calls this man you lovingly lead and you be tender and you be affectionate and you lead unto my glory. So you'll see these two individuals distinct And in this marriage relationship, they're going to leave their parents and they'll be united spiritually and emotionally and physically and financially and purposely for the glory of God in an exclusive relationship. Unity in the midst of diversity. And then in verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. 
In this marriage relationship, there's intended to be such a bond of trust that there's no fear or shame. Fear or shame are going to be a result of what? Of sin. That'll come after the fall. But in God's original design of marriage, there is complete and total trust, a safety and a security in this marriage relationship that puts up absolutely zero barriers because we trust one another and we love one another and there's no fear of shame. Do you see the pattern that God has given to us here? Man is alone. That's not good. Aloneness is not good. And I understand. I know some of you maybe have the call to be single and that's great. That's awesome. But even in your singleness, know this is not good to be alone. God has designed us for community, but there is, in this marriage relationship, there's an aspect of God's image and his nature that will be most fully revealed in a male and a female coming together in an exclusive relationship for their good and the glory of God. And while they're both made in the image of God, they are both distinct and different, both in the image of God, but both equal in dignity, both equal in value to God. In fact, both equal in access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. What do we know in Scripture? In Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female. We're one in Christ. But they will be different. They will be unique, and they will function differently. As I'd say, different by design. And listen, I've been very careful this morning not to get off on sidetracks or tangents, but it's been so hard this week in preparation because there's so many rabbit trails we can run down, right? But there's one, listen, when we try to eliminate the distinctiveness of male and female, when we diminish the beauty of the masculine nature that God has hardwired into a man, when we diminish the beauty of the feminine nature that God has built into a woman, listen to me, it's an affront to the perfection and the glory of God who made us in his image. And so you have these two distinct individuals, and they're going to come together in unity, compatible They will come together physically, spiritually, perfectly made for each other, emotionally in every way, and they're going to complement each other. They're going to have different roles. The man will lead. He will lead with love, and he's going to be accountable to God, and this woman is going to be a helper suitable that she's going to come alongside her husband and help him in the accomplishing of God's mission for God's purposes and his glory. And in their coming together in this different but complementary union, there's going to be a truth about the image of God expressed in marriage. The two shall become one flesh. And in this co-union, the mystery and the beauty and the glory of God will be put on display for all the world to see. You cannot help but see that this is intended to be, your marriage is intended to be evangelistic. Do you understand that this morning? That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. He describes the marriage relationship. He says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with respect to what? Christ in the church. You may not know this this morning, but your marriage is intended to point people to Jesus. Men, as you lead your wife and lead your home, people are intended to look to you and see Jesus. And ladies, as you lovingly, respectfully respond to your husband's leadership, they're intended to see the beauty of the bride of Christ, the church. This is critical. It's why God establishes it early. It's why Moses says, we got to get this right. 
What a picture. What a pattern. God's plan and perfect design for marriage. And against this truth, against this truth, we got the lies of the world. And this world is going to tell us either God doesn't exist, and if God doesn't exist, we've said this, if we've got no infinite reference point, every other point loses its meaning, doesn't it? And everything is just subjective and relative. If, you, if there is no God, then man becomes sovereign, and you just make up your own definition of marriage. It's whatever you want it to be. Or there are some who will say, well, maybe God exists, but listen, God's design was flawed. It's outdated. Now we're enlightened. <laughs> we've outsmarted ourselves. And we've figured it out, and there's a better way in 2020. And here's what it comes down to, folks. I'm just going to tell you this. This is what it comes down to. Are you going to believe the lies of the world, or are you going to believe the truth of God's word? That's simply what it comes down to. And if you say you believe this book, what's the critical test of whether or not you believe it? Are you living it? Now, listen, at this point we know, Genesis 2, I know what you're thinking. In Genesis 2, well, this man and this woman are naturally inclined towards this pattern, and you'd be right. And in Genesis 3, what happens? What goes wrong? Because we know something's wrong. In Genesis chapter 3, they'll rebel, and there's sin. And what is the first thing they do? Post-fall. What is Adam going to do? God, this woman you gave me, I didn't even ask for. I, I didn't, it was, she wasn't a prayer request, all right? You just brought her to me. It's her fault. And what is Eve going to do? It's his fault. I've done a lot of marriage counseling. You know what the heart of it always is? It's his fault. It's her fault. And listen to me. That's what sin does. You're in a bad spot. When you're focusing more on what your spouse should be doing than what you should be doing, you're in a bad spot. But we know this. Sin enters into the picture. It's affected every one of us. We see the effects and... We contend with a sin nature that's inclined towards selfishness. You know what the man is going to have a tendency to do post-fall? In his leadership, he's going to have a tendency to either become passive and do nothing, or he'll become abusive. And the woman who will now contend with a sin nature, she's going to be inclined to want to take control. And I want you to hear something this morning. I prayed so much about this message and how or what God wants me to communicate because we just got a little bit of time. But I want you to understand something this morning. I'm not going to stand here and tell you this morning that if you trust Jesus, it's just going to all work out perfectly. I will not tell you that. Because I tend to know here at the church, just because we're Christians, does that mean we don't struggle? But here's what I'll tell you. If you, at the, your own individual level, will commit your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm committed to following you and your design, even when I don't understand it, and quite frankly, even when I don't want to. But Jesus, I'm going to do my best to live according to your design, and I'm going to live graciously with this other sinner that you put me with. But I'm going to submit to you first and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to do my best to live out your design. Here's what I'll promise you. If you'll make that commitment, I can guarantee you, I can promise you that God will come to you just like he does with Adam and Eve. What's he going to do with Adam and Eve? Boy, they've made a mess of it, haven't they? 
and the home becomes this battlefield and pretty soon there's gonna be murder. It's a mess. But you know what God's gonna do in their mess, in their brokenness? He's gonna come around them and he's gonna cover them. Now he's gonna sacrifice an animal and he's gonna give them better clothes than what they made and he's gonna cover their shame. Can I tell you what I believe God will do in your life if you'll say, God, I just wanna follow you, Jesus. I'm gonna trust in you. I wanna follow your pattern. I believe he'll come to you with graciousness and love. And you know what he'll do? He'll put his arm around you and you know what he'll say? With all the graciousness in the world, He'll say to you, you've tried doing it your way. How about trying to do it my way? And you know what? You're not going to go alone. I'm going to be right here with you. I'm going to place my Holy Spirit inside of you. And as you lean upon me and my word, I'm going to give you the ability to do what you can't do on your own. I can promise you God will be with you. And I can promise you God will travel with you in the brokenness of your homes and in the messes of your marriage. And he will lead you into a brighter day as you seek to follow his pattern and his path. In God good, then no matter where you're at today, do you know what he's saying to you? Come to me. Before you get these relationships right in your life, let's start with this relationship. Let's get this right, and then we'll work on this. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much. God, you are so gracious. You're so kind. In your kindness, you gave us your word that instructs us on how we're to live with you primarily. God, in light of your glory, in light of your holiness, it's apparent we're sinners. We have no hope apart from your grace and your mercy demonstrated in Christ. God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that the the primary relationship that they'd start with is their relationship with you. I pray that they would trust in you with all their heart. They place their faith in you. They know your salvation, know your forgiveness. God, for all of us in this room today, as we seek to to live out your pattern, I pray that this morning we just submit our lives to you. God, as husbands, as wives, as single individuals that are in this room, I pray all of us this morning, no matter where we're at, we'd say, God, I just submit my life to you primarily. You lead me. You guide me in your path for your glory and for, your, for my good. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we give you an opportunity to respond in whatever way God might be leading on your heart. Maybe you have questions about salvation, how you can know Christ. We'll be here at the front. Maybe you just want to pray at the altar, pray where you're at. This is your time. Know this morning. You'll never regret obeying Jesus.